You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Happy Friday. The weekend is finally here. I am Jason Whitlock, and you are watching Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Thank you for joining me. Awesome, awesome show uh, planned for you today. Uh, we're going to bring on our first country music artist. I've been out here in Nashville in Music City now for 18, 19 months, and it was always, if you guys have paid attention to the way the studio is decorated, we got the two guitars, I got all these albums. I always wanted to tap into uh, the musical part of Nashville. They call it Music City. And so that you start tapping into the music in Music City, you got to tap into the country music scene. And so we're going to bring on our first country music guest, JT Hodges, friend of mine. JT uh, had a hit song a few years ago, Hunt You Down. Uh, he's performing live tonight uh, right outside of Nashville. JT, friend of mine, friend of the show, he's going to come by and help us talk a little bit about what's going on in the music industry. And that's we're going to start the show talking about what's going on in the music industry, but not with JT, with an author that's written something uh, very interesting. But later in the show, TJ Moe and Steve Kim will help me talk some uh, NFL playoffs and the Dallas Cowboys. And Shamika Michelle is here. She's going to help me talk about this music. And uh, M&M's, M&M's the peanuts, the candy, the chocolate-covered candy, uh, has decided to go a little bit woke and a little bit non-binary, a little bit inclusive. We'll talk about that. But we're going to start by bringing in uh, Ted Joya, a musician and author, his latest book is Music, A Subversive History. Uh, Ted has written a piece that I found fascinating. Uh, is old music killing new music? He's written this on his Substack. Uh, Ted's one of the smartest guys writing about music, and he's talking about how like, people aren't really into new music, and the young people are actually buying music that I used to listen to when I was in junior high and high school and college. And, and I found it interesting because I just thought I was just an old fart that didn't like new music. Ted's story kind of helped me figure out like, no one likes this stuff as much as they used to. But uh, let's bring in Ted and let's let Ted explain the overall point he was trying to get across before I butcher it. Uh, so Ted, tell, what is the point that you were going for uh, in this article? Did I did I get it done well? I mean, cause it's a very extensive article. There's great graphs in here. You put some work and some thought into this. 
Well, there's something strange going on in the music world right now. We just got numbers for last year, and it showed that 70% of music demand last year was for old music. That's more than two-thirds. Or put it another way, if you take the top 200 songs right now, they only account for 5% of streams. That's half of what it was just three years ago. It's tiny. So something is happening that the marketplace is walking away from new music and embracing old songs. And for you and I, that might be okay because, you know, we like the old songs, the great old songs. But it's alarming when you see the whole culture walk away from new music. And so, Ted, I read this piece and my first thoughts and and you eventually got there. Uh, you, this particular paragraph or explanation or point you made that uh, you started talking about Elvis Presley. I'm going to read the entire paragraph. In fact, that's how all the apparent dead ends of the past were circumvented. Music company execs in 1955 had no idea that rock and roll would soon sweep away everything in its wake. When Elvis took over the culture, coming from the poorest state in the U.S., lowly Mississippi, they were shocked. They were more shocked than anybody. And it happened again in the following decade with the arrival of the British invasion from lowly Liverpool, again a working class city unnoticed by the entertainment industry. And it took place again when hip hop emerged from the Bronx and South Central and other impoverished neighborhoods, a true grassroots movement that didn't give a damn about how closed-minded CEOs of Sony or Universal Music viewed the marketplace. And so when I read that graph, I thought, Ted, and I wonder if you agree, great art, almost all art, but in particular music, is generally a byproduct of oppression. And it's people in some pain or expressing the pain of others eventually create revolutionary, groundbreaking music that speaks to people's hearts, souls, spirits, emotions. And that's what I think is missing right now in music. It, it seems so materialistic, so vapid. It just doesn't, the new music doesn't speak to anyone's soul. Well, I look at it and I compare the music industry right now to the people that ran the temples in ancient Rome. If you were a priest in ancient Rome and there was a temple of Jupiter or Apollo, you couldn't admit that you'd lost faith in them. You had to pretend that you still believed in the ancient gods, even though everyone else knew they were dead. Well, that's the music industry right now. The people running it won't say this, but if you judge by their actions, they've lost confidence in new music. They've lost faith in it. Probably the best way of looking at it is, how do they spend their money? The biggest area of investment in music right now is old songs. They're investing hundreds of millions of dollars buying up the publishing rights of songs from 40, 50 years ago. This is the biggest investment area. And whose catalogs are they buying up? Musicians who are 70, 80 years old. You know, Paul Simon sold out his catalog for hundreds of millions. Bruce Springsteen did, Bob Dylan did. This is where all the money in the industry is going. And so they're not putting the money into new artists. 20, 30 years ago, they would have invested that money in the next star. Now they're going down this dead end of, of, of chasing trends that are 40, 50 years old. That can't be good. 
But you bring up a good point in that where is the next new sound going to come from? And the one thing that gives me comfort is in the past, new sounds and new styles haven't come from Hollywood or New York or big record labels. They've always come from oppressed communities. And you gave a few examples. You know, when the rock and roll scene hit with Elvis, you know, Elvis came from Mississippi. That was the poorest state in the United States. No one expected a musical revolution to come from there. It happened on its own. And then with the British invasion in rock, you know, where did the British invasion come from? It didn't come from Buckingham Palace. It didn't come from 10 Downing Street. It came from Liverpool, one of the poorest cities in, this, in the whole nation. And that happened with hip hop. You know, hip hop came out of the Bronx. It's just a few miles away from uh, the headquarters of many record labels in New York City. But they, they didn't have a clue it was coming until it happened. So that will happen again. There will be a new musical revolution happening, but it's going to come in some strange place, some place we least expected. You know, a good example is what's been happening with K-pop now. Probably exciting anything in terms of reaching an actual global audience, but you know, people in Hollywood had no idea that was going to happen. It happened despite them. There'll be something like that that's going to surprise us. Maybe not this year or next, but it'll happen soon. Ted, I actually think it's happening. And I think people haven't recognized, I'm gonna throw you a bit of a curveball, and, okay. and I, I'm wondering if you're, I think the actual oppressed group that is starting to generate music that people are tuning into is the MAGA people. And it's like these Let's Go Brandon songs that aren't really that great, but they've been taking off uh, and having success. And then, I don't know if you, if you know, you know the artist Aaron Lewis that used to be the front man for Stained, and then he became a country guy, and he made this song last July 4th, Am I the Only One? It's had a lot of success. I, 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 I think people are gonna be, but I, I think people making music for the MAGA crowd are actually going to have success and that that, that anti-establishment group is going to be where the next musical revolution perhaps comes from. Well, I don't know if I'm ready to hear a hit song on Let's Go Brandon. I've, I've heard a few of those have gone viral. They, they haven't struck me as, as uh, the next Beatles. But you raise an interesting point. In the past, new sounds came from the counterculture. These were people that were on the fringes of the, count, of the culture. They weren't insiders. The, the Sex Pistols and punk rock, they were all outsiders, remember, the counterculture. The same thing with the grunge rockers and Nirvana or the rock people. And, and there's a, a real gap in the counterculture right now. There's probably, if you, the, 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 right is pro, the right is probably more counterculture than the left right now. So that's, that's a very revealing thing. But what we do need is a vibrant counterculture of people being able to produce songs and writings, and books and movies that aren't part of the establishment. Uh, and, and sort of this elite culture has become monolithic and that will collapse. There will be some outside voice that will put a dent in it. Uh, and I, and I, I don't know if it's gonna come from TikTok or YouTube. 
I tend to think it might come from overseas. I think the next big movement might come from Africa or Indonesia or Brazil or someplace where you don't expect it. But I do think the monolithic culture in the United States is now a kind of echo chamber and needs to be shaken up from some source. I just don't know where that's going to happen. And I'm going to double back on it a little bit and just say, like, the counterculture is whether we like it or not, whether people agree with it or not, the whole establishment is saying, get vaxxed, get vaxxed, get vaxxed. And there are people like that don't want to get vaxxed, don't want to have to show their papers to eat at restaurants. And there's all these people, you know, if you like Trump, you're the worst person in the world, you, you know, this, that, and another. And, and from that is going to come a brand and a style of music that, uh, again, music that is counterculture against the establishment and music that speaks to people's hearts and emotions. And so I grew up on R&B and rap. And, and rap, when it first started, Rapper's Delight was kind of fun. And then I really fell in love with rap with Public Enemy and KRS-One, and out of New York, there was like this really anti-establishment, black pride music that was in rap. And, and then rap just became very materialistic and very hedonistic, and it just lost me. I just don't have the same level of passion. And when I look at Cardi B and what she raps, it just doesn't connect with people's souls and hearts. And so I just think the artists are like throwing away their audience because all the music is so materialistic and the people that, that seem to want to have a message of some kind behind their music seem to be the people, the, the unvaxxed, the conservative, whatever, they seem to be having music that with a real message. I, I can't, rappers aren't even really making social justice music. Uh, uh, they're making, you know, music about drugs and sex. And anyway, the, I just, I read your article and I thought, wow, this guy has captured something I've been feeling for a long time, like this new music just isn't any good. And they're creating an opportunity uh, for people that I'm not sure if they know that they're creating that opportunity for. A lot of people feel the same way you do. I Probably the single biggest response I've gotten from my article is people telling me that the problem is with the songs. You said the songs are no good. The songs were much better back in the day. Now, I don't completely disagree with that. I find a lot of the current pretty valid too. But I will say, the problem is not that there aren't good musicians out there. I listen to new music all the time. There are great musicians out there and there's creative work happening. The problem is the system is broken. It won't give these people visibility. You know, for example, radio stations have such tight formats now that if you came out with a new sound, they wouldn't play it. The formats haven't changed in 20 years. What gets on a country radio station today has to sound pretty much what it did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. Or, or pop or hip hop or jazz or classical music is the, is the best example. Classical music doesn't change in decades. The problem is the whole music scene is, is now becoming like that. So it's, 
it's not a fact that there aren't good musicians. The problem is they're not being nurtured. They're not being discovered by the music industry. They're not getting supported. We need a culture that brings these people wherever they are, whether it's in a poor parts of the United States or the inner city or in uh, middle America or overseas. We need to have more institutional support and, and, and more uh, people that care and will bring them to the attention of us. Because there's, let me tell you, there's great music out there. It's just, it's, it's not getting a voice. And so what do you think of my overall point about just like, I think all of art is in jeopardy because of how PC we've become. And, and I look at, I, I, comedy has been destroyed. And, and Dave Chappelle sticking his neck out and has actually increased his popularity. And he keeps saying like, business has never been better. And, and then when I look over in the music space, I'm not a country music person, but I live here in Nashville. And so I follow it. This Morgan Wallen that, that was almost canceled over a drunken event in front of his house, popularity has never been higher. He's around Nashville. He's, he's, it's almost like Michael Jackson, the excitement that people have anywhere he goes, he sells out. And so I, I just think cancel culture has, you know, Chris Rock took a chance and it looks like Morgan Wallen has just fallen into something, but, but it's destroying art. The PC culture is destroying all art. And, and these corporations are afraid to support the truly talented people that actually want to say something original and moving and that speaks to people. Uh, I just look at all of art being in jeopardy in this current environment and culture we have. Well, I'd like to avoid a situation where People on the left have their songs and people on the right have their songs and we get into a culture war over that. Art should have a broader appeal than that. And even a political song should have a, a much larger appeal. I mean, if you go back to the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or Michael Jackson or Madonna, if you wanted to, you could interpret those politically or socially. But people groove to them because they love the beat, they love the melody. The song spoke to them on an emotional level, an emotional platform. Uh, so my thought is that, that the, the next approach might be an approach that actually goes against politics. We have politicized too much of our culture. Uh, you know, too much of what we decide on what we consume or, or, or gets included or excluded is on, on political criteria. Uh, I, I'm hoping that we have a larger vision uh, and and I, I urge people that are the decision makers in the music industry to embrace that larger vision. But here's the bottom line. They're not going to have a choice on this. They, they, they can't really cancel, if they, even when they think they can cancel. The Morgan Wallen example is a great example. Even when they think they can cancel, they can't. They can't. Uh, I, I find a lot of what Michael Jackson did abhorrent, but Michael Jackson is not going to disappear. Uh, and when the next new thing comes, it's not going to be five people in an office building in New York or Hollywood deciding who that next superstar is going to be. Uh, that gets nowhere. It's gonna come from someplace unexpected and it's gonna reach the audience directly via the internet and other mechanisms. Uh, and people that try to either help it or stop it, it will be irrelevant. The music will speak to people again, much like it has done in the past. Ted, thank you so much for your time. 
Thanks for the piece you wrote. Uh, I, I will say this. I sounded like you took a little pot shot at Michael Jackson. I'm a Michael Jackson homer. Uh, and so it took a lot of great discipline for me not to scream out loud when you tried to take a little pot shot at Mike. Uh, look, I'm from Indiana. He's such a big part of my child. I don't believe any of the allegations. And so, but we'll discuss that the next time I have you. <laughs> Thank you so much, okay, Dan. Seriously, I appreciate day. it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, I think I'm right that uh, the counterculture is going to come from the right and that there's something to the fact that these Let's Go Brandon songs keep taking off virally. Aaron Lewis's song, Am I the Only One, has been a big hit and success, and Aaron Lewis has like really leaned into that Screw the other guy's brand. Uh, I, I, look, great music, just like he said. I mean, he, he made all the points that I wanted to make. Counterculture, you look at the 1960s. Anyway, uh, you guys, uh, what, any takeaways from what Ted had to say or I had to say? I definitely agree with him when he talks about the system and how they don't really promote some of the good music. My daughter uh, is interested in rap and she says she doesn't want to sing about sex. She doesn't want to talk about money and drugs. And I told her, I think that's great and I, I'm pushing her to do that, but I want you to understand it's not going to be as easy as the woman who's half naked, who's just talking about sex, who's talking about money, because that's what radio promotes, that's what people push, that's what it seems like people love. So I just want you to be prepared that you have to be really serious about this and you have to be determined and you have to stick with it even when it feels like nobody is listening. And so she does listen to like what we call the MAGA rappers and she has noticed that, you know, Bryson Gray and Losa Alexander are actually rising and taking number one spots from people like Adele, you know. And so I do think that it's going to be come from the right. People are tired. You know, people, um, when, when we say they're listening to old music, I think it's because new music is not natural. It goes against nature. You have women talking about being savages as if they're actually heartless, when we already know women are more empathetic, you know, but yet the music pushes them as if they aren't empathetic, they're heartless, they can just use men for whatever. We have men talking about bros before hoes. That's unnatural, so I think the, the, the way people love old music is because old music is what's natural. Talking about love is what's natural. You pointed me, Jason, to the article that Jesse, um, was it Washington wrote? Yeah, yeah, Jesse Washington with the undefeated. But and, yes. No love songs anymore in R&B music. Right, and uh, he was saying that it's only in, you know, the black culture that that's happening. All non-black love songs are still being created just as much as they used to be. So again, it goes back to the bigger plan to me to destroy the black family and the black community because we're just taking away everything that's natural, that is of nature, that is of God. And we wanna really change that and bring something different. It's only it ha it's happening to us the most that, like you said, there's no R&B love songs. What, what, what I would say is it's happening to us first. Yeah. There's always a lab rat. 
uh, but everybody at some point is going to be a lab rat. And so, yeah, we're first up, but the, the, trust me, the lack of love songs and all that, it's filtering out into other genres. I, um, I'm sorry, I'm forgetting the name of the Ted. guy. Ted, thank you. One of the things Ted said was that he hopes that it doesn't become political, where only the right can listen to this and the left can listen to this. I think there's a big problem with that because music does not care about right or left. Music, historically, captures the heartbeat of the time. And right now when we talk about counterculture, people are feeling politics like crazy. And so how a song is going to catch on is you hear something that starts to explain what you've been feeling. And so the counterculture is coming from the right. It's going to be from the right and not the left at this time. And so we're going to have the division politically because that is the heartbeat of the country right now. And so you can't just make something up, throw it out there and say that's good music if, if it doesn't hit close to home. And so I think great music takes authenticity and it takes courage. And that's why it's typically from the counterculture. So uh, I am in full agreement with you that it's going to come from the right and it's going to be things that, that all of us sit here and talk about and somebody puts on paper and sings about it and we say, that's it. That guy, that's the heartbeat of me and my community right now. I, I also think that it's gonna happen away, just like he said, Elvis Presley and rock and roll and rap, it, it wasn't the big major labels, corporations that were backing it. Eventually they had to get on board with it because it sold and was so popular. And I think that's what's happening right now in all media spaces in terms, it's like, why am I here? Why did I feel like, you know what, I need to get away from Fox Sports and ESPN. And it's because you couldn't be truthful. Mm -hmm. You couldn't say what you really, really believed on those platforms. And so the only option was to evacuate if you wanted to say what's really on your mind and heart. And I think that's what's going to happen in the music industry. And then there'll be enough because, I mean, look at Joe Rogan mm -hmm. and his importance in American culture uh, while not being connected to some major television network or some major uh, corporate entity. And I know Spotify is, but you know, it's a, real, it's a new, it's a disruptor. Uh, but, but all across the board, the people, Dave Portnoy in Barstool Sports, that mm -hmm. just very disruptive. And it's all coming from, and events, that's what's gonna happen in music. And it's necessary and it's gonna, and again, traditional people, because music has always probably tended to be more left than, than conservative, I would think. Music has always, yeah, has always been a bit more liberal than conservative. I think it's gonna, we're gonna see this start evening itself out or swinging the other direction where the great music is going to come from the right. Again, I've never been a huge country music person. I, you know, I dated a girl that took me to some Kenny Chesney concerts. Uh, but you know, going to the concerts, that Aaron Lewis song, Am I the Only One? The first time I heard it, it hit me like the first time, y'all too young, Shmi, you may, may be too young, but Karras One had a song called Why Is That? Hmm. Rap song, it was, 
I can remember being in my car when I heard Why Is That by KRS One. I was on Ball State College campus and I came to tears. Oh my God, I can't believe this brother did this. Blah, blah, blah. That's how I felt listening to Aaron Lewis sing some country song. Am I the only one? It hit me that same way. And, uh, you know, there, there's, you know, we were talking about uh, Silk has a song called Lose Control. I love that song. It hits me, you know, so hard. And, and you were making the point, Samika, before the show about, uh, was it Men Condition or who? It was Silk. No, it was Silk. Yeah, yes. they got mm -hmm. a, a, a song that. Meeting in my bedroom. Yes. Meet me in my, yes. And some woman now has turned this into one of the most pornographic, profane, and I just, the music just doesn't hit you in the heart anymore at all. It's so profane, so materialistic. It has no chance to get off the ground. And I, I mean, the point you made about it just being unnatural, mm -hmm. phenomenal point. It goes against the way we're actually wired. Right. Yes. There's no more uh, Natalie Cole singing, you know, love songs or, you know, I've got love on my mind. There's, there's none of that. There's no Whitney Houston saying all the man that I need. We need more of that because that's truly how we feel as women. There's no Lenny Williams, isn't that his name? Uh, because I love you. I love you, yeah. Like, that's what I grew up on. I loved Larry Graham and Just Be My Lady. As a little girl, you know, you this is what you look forward to. You grow up and think, oh, I'm going to have a man that says, just be my lady. Everything will be all right. And now... That's not what they're telling you, but it doesn't feel right. And I think that even the younger gen generation know, I may, I may like the way this sounds, this is cool, but it doesn't feel right. Well, I, I just think there's, this is true in America as a whole right now. You remember you did a, uh, a full show on, what's her name, Tamara Mensah-Stock, the, the, the female wrestler who just raved about how she could not be more proud to be an American and represent America. She yes, the Olympics. yeah, at the Olympics. Olympics. So, yes. And so we can almost name, as conservatives right now, we are begging for people to speak our language mm -hmm. on a public forum when we cannot be heard. She right. did that. How many female wrestlers can you name in the world ever? And every time I hear her, it rings a bell. Oh, yeah, that's the girl that loves America. And, and um, Jason Aldean, his, his wife came out with, uh, she, she took a picture with like an anti-Biden social club T-shirt on. And um, we had, he came out and said, I will never apologize for my beliefs or my love for my family and country. This is the greatest country in the world, and I want to keep it that way. I would like for him to extend that into his music and, and it doesn't have to be, you know, doesn't have to be uh, let's go Brandon. It doesn't have to be all the other stuff that goes along with it. I, I think the important thing is to come Just out. send Jim right up here. Keep going, TJ. Come on, Jim. Up here. <laughs> I don't want to work the other camera. Just come over here and stand next to me. I just, we went a little bit long. And so the ending of the show is going to be different. And I just wanted to squeeze Jimmy into this music conversation because I know uh, Jim, DJ, very passionate about these issues. 
Uh, but it, TJ, finish up your point. I, I was basically done. I, bottom line is the, the culture is going to come from the right, and we are begging people to. The left has been stepping out of line with their music forever. It is about time for the right to step out of line and, and start speaking our language through their music. Jim, I want to speak into my mic because I just I know these issues hit you as a former DJ and just anyway, any thoughts on any of this stuff we've been discussing? Uh, I, I think that actually what, what you're saying and everything that's gone on, I think we have to really look at the fact that music is the reason that a lot of I mean, music is, d determines a whole lot of which way our, our country is going and everything that's happening with our country, you know. I mean, I, I, we, come on, Jason. Our people didn't start really going officially to hell until NWA came out. <laughs> you know, you, you talk about you, you talk about you. you, you we, we like PE and we like KRS One. Hey, man, who, who who ran them off the box? Who ran them out? That is true. I, I've made that point many times about like music, rap music was going one direction, and then NWA sent it a completely different direction, and they and they did it by playing the police brutality card. And again, so all this conversation about police brutality, it's a rigged thing that they do all the time to promote divisiveness. And so everybody loves to say that NWA is some sort of, of uh, revolutionary, they spoke truth to power. And I can never forget, I, I, I had a kid once, young guy that was all in the NWA. And he, he wasn't around back then, but in, I said, Go listen to the two albums that they put out. They put out two. Find me the songs that have some sort of positive message or some sort of uh, establishment wrecking message or whatever. And F the Police is their positive song. <laughs> Everything else yes. is extremely pornographic, violent, uh, misogynistic, uh, pro-killing pro black people, pro-drug dealer. Every song. Right. So they played the police brutality card. Oh, they're an important voice. We got to make a movie about them. They were revolutionary because they were pornographers. B bottom line, th that's yeah. it. And so, yeah, it, 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 they sent rap a completely different direction. It was by design, uh, but right. out of time in this segment. I, no one likes to talk about sweat. So why do I keep bringing up <laughs> sweat block on this show? because they are just that good at what they do. <laughs> Created and recommended by doctors, Sweatblock has helped me in my daily fight to keep my sweating down and under control. And as I told you earlier this week, not everybody has the sweating problem. Not everybody. And so Sweatblock, you would think it's not for everybody. I don't have a big sweat. What if you're a hunter? What if you like to camp? What if, you're, what if you're someone in our audience, and our audience is stocked with people that like to hunt, like to fish, like to be in the outdoors? You're gonna be in the outdoors all day, a day or two, three days, whoever how long. Sweat block is perfect for you. It will keep you fresh and refreshed. Nothing worse than being out in the woods and smelling yourself and stinking. And maybe, you, maybe your girl likes to hunt with you and you're sweaty and stinking. Maybe she's sweaty and stinking. Maybe when you go home and you can't feel like you can hug your kids, your wife, your girlfriend, whatever, your dog doesn't want to be around you because you stink. You've been out in the woods all day. Not if you use sweat block. 
Sweat block is perfect for you. You put it on in the morning, you put it on the night before, and trust me, you're covered for two, three, four days, sometimes as much as all week. It's an awesome gift for everybody. If you like to be outdoors, if you like to hunt fish, whatever, it's not just for people that sweat all the time or are a little overweight, get in front of these cameras and they break out in the sweat. It's for everybody at some point. So go to sweatblock.com, use the promo code FEARLESS. You can get 20% off right now if you go to sweatblock.com and use the promo code FEARLESS. Sweatblock is for everybody at some point, and it's for you. They're a great sponsor. They're great believers in the message that we try to promote on this show. What a sweat block. All right, stay tuned. JT Hodges, just around the corner. Next. All right, Uncle Jimmy is supposed to be showing up here, but you know UJ going to be UJ. I give him about an 80% chance of actually coming in. You know what this is all about. You probably all have seen the clip, but while we wait, you're going to watch him. This tantrum he threw the other day, I'm going to play it again. All right, there's tomorrow. I haven't heard tomorrow in two weeks. We've been... <laughs> no, Jim, no! No, this is a family show, Jim. <laughs> What's with those glasses? If I keep these on, can't nobody take my temperature, you know, especially anally, man. So, what, 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 what happened? But you want the real story, man? With the real you want story. The real story, man. Look, man, I'm gonna tell you straight out, man. I was getting ready to do, you know, I was talking about my opening, man, and I told him, I said, Jay, I can't do all of that you want me to do, man. So I said, man, my foot is hurt. You know, for real, coach. I can't do it, man. And yeah, man, y'all don't know Jason like I know him, man. He just looked at me, man, just told me, man, and get the stuck, get off the show, man. You said you injured your foot, but you ran out of there doing like jumping jacks. Let me just ask you a question. Bob, have you ever heard of a... Hey, man, what's that thing my doctor said I had? Dilapidated lateral ligament. Yeah. He said I dilapidated my lateral ligament. You hear me, man? You know what that means, Bob? You know what that means, Bob? That means that I'm human, Bob. Bob, that means that I'm not a, 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 a texture terrestrial or something, man. Hold on, hold up now. Is Jason Whitlock still your friend? I saw you, I, I looked, you're not following him on Instagram. Yeah, you're right. You, I'm not following him, you know why? Because he don't follow me. That's why I took my shirt off. Because he don't follow nobody that don't take their shirt off. See, ask him about that. If he's my friend, then tell me something, man. Why do I have to come out here every day just to earn a meager salary. Hey man, why am I the only one that's on the prove it contract, man? Why am I the only one on here buy, play here, buy here contract? TJ Moe don't play on that kind of contract, do it? Huh? What about Steve Kim? Steve Kim on that kind of contract? Who's the who's the best player on this team, Bob? Jason Whitlock. A show is only as strong as its, as its strongest link. You know who the strongest link is on this show? I am, Bob. You, do you know why I'm the strongest league? Be, I, because I carry Whitlock's ass every day, man. 
I carry him every day on the show. You gotta be a tank to carry a man that size, man. Do I look like a tank to you, Pop? Honestly, man, do you know what I do for this show, man? I open the close this Jason be having me cooking the dressed up all crazy Then I be sitting up, I gotta wear a damn cowboy hat and talk to some white boy named Butter out there in the wilderness. Like we doing a damn broke back mountain or something, hump back in the wilderness. You know what I'm saying, man? No, man, UJ bigger than that, man. For real, man, I'm the star show, man. We saw you walk off. Was the foot really real? You, you want me to show everybody right now my, my, my foot? We'll look at it. You know what, man? Let me tell you something, man. You know what? I tell you what, man. You know what, man? You know what I tell you, man? You want to see? Look, you know what, man? Here, you, you happy with that, Bob? You know what, man? You know what, man? Now, you happy there? <laughs> yep. So, hey. So, y'all just gonna let my shit set up here and burn? Welcome back. All right, we just had a very interesting discussion about music and uh, Ted Joya's article that we were talking about in the previous segment. I, I sent it to uh, JT Hodges, our next guest, uh, last night because I, I wanted to get his thoughts on it. You guys know I'm relatively new to Nashville. I've been here about 18, 19 months. And it's really being here in Music City has made me expand my musical horizons and have started because of, I got a relationship with a guy named Steve Ford here, a businessman here in Nashville who's connected to virtually everybody in the country music world. And so I've just been meeting people in the country music world and JT has been uh, one of the best connections I made, which actually comes not even from Steve Ford, it actually comes from my friend Buck Fitzgerald. You guys have seen Buck uh, here on the show, former University of Tennessee football player. Uh, but uh, JT, we've probably known each other a couple, two or three months now. Yeah. But this morning was the first time I went and hunted down uh, some of your music and, you know, I hunted down, hunt you down. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play a clip. Uh, from uh, probably your most popular song, Hunt You Down. She said, make me up when you get back to town. Look you up, I said, hell, I'm gonna hunt you down. And so, I'm trying to lean into the music here in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm big on harmony. We use the word harmony. We have a show on Wednesdays. The back end of it's called Tennessee Harmony. Music is what brings us together. And, and that's why I thought of you, JT. This, let, let's start here with the article I sent you last night. And sure. The article kind of argues like that young people really aren't into new music. They're into the older stuff. And so for an old fart like me, it made sense to me, like, man, this music ain't as good as the music I grew up on. This ain't the Isley Brothers. <laughs> this ain't even Jodeci. And <laughs> so how did, that how did that article land with you, a performer who had some success previously and is now working your way back in, probably going to release some new music this yep. year? How'd that land with you? 
Well, I'll tell you, uh, the first thing I'll say is there's one thing I know about the music business. And that's that I don't know a damn thing about the music business. <laughs> like golf, I, huh? I think most people that are in the music business would probably tell you that. I mean, it's literally, you know, sometimes betting on a roulette wheel. But uh, I found the, the article fascinating for a couple of different reasons. I Now, I'm a little different than most. I grew up in a... My, my father started up the first multi-track recording studio ever built in Dallas-Fort Worth. It was called Buffalo Sound Studios. Mama had a deal with MCA Nashville at the time. She ended up turning it down, didn't want to go out on the road. But Pops had, you know, Michael Bolton coming in there. He had Leon Redbone, Delbert McClinton, a big Texas blues artist. And so I grew up around that environment. So I listened to a lot of that class, you know, which is probably considered old music today, right? But most people, they, it's a medium thing. When I was growing up, you pretty much had radio, and then you had maybe MTV, right? You had those two mediums, and ulti- ultimately everything, all the artists, like the U2s, the, the, uh, the Motley Crues, the, you know, and in the country world, the Alan Jacksons, the George Straits, you had radio, and you had, you know, GAC, CMT, MTV, and, and those were the mediums, so you became invested in the artist. There was also something going on back then which was called artist development. <laughs> Go figure. A&R. A&R. Well, uh, artist yeah, repertoire. I'm sorry. I'm so, yeah. It, it, Never mind. Go ahead. You're Let's all good. Uh, it, think about Tom Petty. You think about, you know, you too. You think about Bruce Springsteen. If, if you really go back, they probably each put out four or five albums before they really, really found their voice. And then ultimately, that's when you eventually had the U2 Josh retreat come out. That's when you had Springsteen, uh, you know, Born to Run and into, into uh, Born in the USA. They developed these artists. I think now, with all the things that we have going on, everybody's got one of these. Uh, everybody has, a, you know, their Instagram, their Twitter. I think there's so much distraction. There's so much music out there. And there's hardly any artist development anymore. So a lot of it makes sense that these young kids, they're like, well, okay, that's a cool song, but I don't really know much about that artist. On to the next song, but they can identify with the brands that were built by Tom Petty, or, or you know, going even back to, to Elvis Presley. You can talk about Elvis Presley in the article. Movements, and I'm sure you were going to go into that. There hasn't been a great musical movement in the United States, in my opinion, since, you know, the grunge era of the 90s. If you really think about it, that was when, like, you know, we had Nirvana, Pearl Jam. And you and I were talking about, this, uh, talking about this this morning about a lot of great music comes through some form of, like, whether it's poverty. You, you talked about Brooklyn and, and yeah. rap and the, and the Bronx and all that, like, uh, how that came, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, the 80s hair metal, with, with, the, with the, you know, make it... All of these movements came from a place of, 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 you know, whether it's social injustice or, you know, just wanting to revolt, rock and roll, right? Like, it's saved the music business up until now. So until we have, like, that next great musical movement, and it's going to have to be done, again, through this, because we're all on this now, right? I, I mean, it makes sense. 
we don't have any heroes. Well, I, I certainly think art, and we talked about it in the previous segment, that great art comes from oppression. It, it, it really does. It comes from pain, and then people start speaking about their pain and writing about their pain, and the music connects with people in an, on a soulful level, on a spiritual level, on an emotional level. And that's what I think is missing. But again, I don't, am I just an old fart that thinks that, you know, and maybe I'm not as in tune with what's being said in music, but I, I just think, and as we talked about Shamika and TJ and I and uh, Ted Joya, as we talked about, I, I just don't think this music that's being put out today has any soul. I, I don't, it, it seems all very materialistic. And, and as we, I, I, I don't know, and you help me understand, because I don't think this is true in country, but as someone who grew up on R&B music, the Isley Brothers, my favorite group of all time, so good. Jodeci being to me like the next iteration of, of the Isley Brothers, my favorite. In soul music, there is no more love music. And I'm just telling they just don't make love songs. They, they make sex songs, but they don't make love songs. They don't make songs that you would share with a woman that you care about. They make music for a woman that you may swipe left or right on Tinder, or, uh, but a woman that you care about and want to connect with and want to build something, they don't make music for that anymore. Is, that, is there less of that in country or the other genres of music? I, I still think uh, the great thing about country music is, is it always has been about the song. Uh, now it changes, you know, it's changed, you know, just in the last probably decade, you know, we've gone a couple of different directions, you know, the whole, what they call bro country came out with trucks and everything. And, and, uh, but I, I think for the most part, country music will always be about the song. I'll go back and touch. I mean, as far as everything else goes, you know, I guess you could call me a little bit of an old fart too, because I, I tend to agree with you that I, I, I do think coming from a musical place, I feel like the arrangements of songs back in the day were more interesting. I, I feel like uh, maybe the way they recorded them, I mean, the bands had to be as tight as possible. You know, go back to the Motown, that band was so good, they probably would have to record one of those you know, songs probably 25 times until they got that perfect take. What comes out of that? Soul, right? And I think today there's a lowest common denominator and it's happening in country. And some of my country music fans and, and listeners and artists, you know, they, they may not agree, but even country is starting to have a formula. And that formula is through whether it be radio, whatever's gonna work on radio, if that was a hit, then more than likely this song needs to be similar to that song as far as the key, the tempo, the arrangement. That way it's just one big playlist on a radio station. I think that's factored in. Um, so, I mean, I could go all day, but I don't think we have, I don't think we have all day, do we? JT, <laughs> <laughs> you and I talk about music's ability to bring us together. Yep, it does. I believe that. Great music does. Mm -hmm. But it feels like 
we're getting less and less great music, less and less music that brings us together. I, again, I know you're an artist and you, you know, you're friends with other artists and across, I'm sure across all genres and so it's, it's probably a bit more difficult for you to say that or chime in on the things that I'm going, but, but when I think about WAP by Cardi B, like winning music awards, I, I, it just blew, how? How, how does that bring us to, I'm saying, can, I can't play that with my mother. I can't play, I don't want to hear it with my brother. I don't want to hear it with my sister. I can't think of anybody. I, it can, how can it bring us together? And, and that's what music to me has always done. And so a lot of sports, things. We talk about sports and music. Those, yeah. are the two, those are the last places we can go, really, to bring in. And I agree with you. And it's interesting, 70% that, that when you sent me that, like, People going, young people going to listen to older music. So there's something to be said for what you just said. Uh, I mean, out of that 30%, you know, I'll, I'll give, I'll give, you know, credit to you know a, a Chris Stapleton or a or a, an Adele because you know they're at least selling albums and people are listening and and, and they're I think. But when I give them credit, what what do those two artists remind you of? They kind of take you back. Right, a little bit in their style. Well, and the Aretha Franklin of this yeah, era. Yeah, I mean, it's so that's what I found most interesting. So, what, what's the answer? Is it more people? Do we need a movement that takes us back to me talking about those arrangements, the musicality, uh, being influenced, going back and be, you know maybe being more influenced by a Bruce Springsteen or a, uh, if, 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 if Souls where it's at, Isaac Brothers, uh, or if it's, if, it's, uh, if it's country music for you, Hank Williams Sr., you know, like what, going back and really listening to the way those songs are crafted, there was, there was a team of people. There were songwriters that wrote the songs. There were producers that produced the songs. There was, you had the best of the best. And, and, and now it's, you know, you know, artists will have their writers teams and they only write with a set few people or they want to write all the songs themselves or they want to produce their own albums. And and I get it. Like, you know, money talks. It's it, it can be expensive to, to make a record. Uh, so, like I said, I, we don't have all day. I, mean, I could go all day, but I, I agree. I do agree that uh, that the old fart thinks that, you know, it's a lot a lot of music today lacks the soul it needs it, it it needs to it's okay to sing about loss it's okay to sing about love it's okay to say i love you in a song you don't have to say i want you you know we got plenty of i want you songs out right now let's get to the chase let's cut to the chase let's not swipe and let's sit down have a drink and look each other eye to eye and let's hear that song you know so before I, at some point i want to ask you about you're Dallas Cowboys. Oh, God. Because uh, I know you're a Cowboys I'm fan. I'm going to go ahead and leave at that point. We, but, but I want to, since we're here, I would like for you, you're performing live tonight. Sir? Uh, you've told me you're trying to release some new music. What are you, the new music you're trying to release and trying to lean into, what's it going to be about? Uh, you know, how, who, who's influencing you right now? Maybe it's, all, again, you got, you got, Great parents from the music industry. You're friends with everybody in the music industry. What are, what's your music going to be about in 2022? Well, I tell you, uh, now that you sent that article, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, because I, I tell you, I am one of that 70%. A lot of the stuff I've been listening to, uh, classic rock. I'm actually listening to a lot of bluegrass, believe it or not. Uh, um, but a lot of classic rock. Uh, this year, I told myself, it's been probably three years since I've made, I won't even say a record, I guess a compilation of songs, let's call it that. Uh, I've got 200 songs that I need to sift through that like I've written and I've just put in a vault. I want to sift through those and, and then I want, I've, I'm, ri- I'm writing a few now that I'm excited about, but I want to put a pile of work together and just put that out. And so that's my goal this year. I, I'm leaning. I'm leaning more towards less a country record per se, and more towards a Heartland rock album. Which, which would for that would put me in the in the in the in the, in the John Mellon camp, uh, Steve Miller, uh, I guess zone. Huh. Only because I get my like tonight when I play, I get the most joy out of that kind of high energy rock and roll. Uh, and, and, and the ballads, the way they approach it. Um, so, yeah. So, I'm I like a, John Mellencamp. <laughs> He's from Indiana, if our memory serves. He is. Right? He is a... Bloomington, Indiana. Yep. That's, from my, that's from my era of college. John Cougar Mellencamp. Uh, you were born in a small town? <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, your Dallas Cowboys uh, absolutely stink. Uh, I'm not surprised they were overvalued uh, in the NFC East. They beat up on a bunch of NFC East teams and aren't really any good. Uh, and Jerry Jones today didn't give a ringing endorsement of your head coach, Mike McCarthy. Uh, well, that's – I don't know, Mike. Apologies, but that's one thing Jerry's done said, right? <laughs> I, I mean – but look. I got to say this, we can't just continue to make it all about the coaching. I love Dak, I love Zeke, I love these players, right? But at some point, 14 penalties. This team consistently has shown in every one of their losses, which they never got blown out unless you want to count that Denver. I guess Denver kind of blew them out, but... They beat themselves in every single game. Now, you could put that on coaching, not having them prepared, but I put a little bit of responsibility on the players. Maybe the moment's too big. I don't know. I do think that there's a difference. I'd love to see all these other players that aren't on the Dallas Cowboys come over and play for the Dallas Cowboys. There's a lot more pressure and a spotlight on America's team. Cry me a river. That's <laughs> true. Dak Prescott's getting paid forty-two million dollars. I think seventy-five this year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. <laughs> and he didn't play all that well. He did and not. It, he it, did not. Every country music star or singer is some sort of, to some degree, a Cowboys fan. I think. I think Chris Young. He, oh, Chris Young's diehard. Yeah, like, diehard. And I, I see him. I think he and Dak are friends or whatever. Uh, so I know it's hard for y'all to talk about your quarterback, but maybe your quarterback's just not worth $42 million. I mean, I like Dak. I think he's a leader. Um, I mean, all you can do is get back to the drawing board and, and try, try to see if you can make another run. I mean, 
I have been cursed as being somebody that was in high school when we had the Dallas Cowboy glory days, when we won three Super Bowls in four years, and the Jimmy Johnson, Barry Switzer era. And so I've been cursed the last two decades, almost three, right? I guess we're getting close to yes. we're getting close to three decades. Look, we won the last a- time the Cowboys were any good, JT, you weren't even – Old enough to appreciate it. No, I was. I remember. <laughs> the, I was. I was in high school. I remember. So that's why I'm saying I'm cursed because I remember those glory days. And well, they'll pass you by. <laughs> in 19, well, didn't they win? They last won a Super Bowl in 1995. You were probably in what sixth grade? No, I was. I was in high school. I was a junior in high school. Oh, you're older than I thought. Thanks. <laughs> Plastic surgery. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey Thanks. man, I. Appreciate you coming by. Appreciate you. Uh, Thanks for having me. Great job. All right. Uh, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe. Hit the likes. Uh, if you're listening over Apple, hit that five-star review. Uh, Shamika Michelle, TJ Moe. Next, we're going to talk a little bit about M&M's. M&M's have gone woke. All that more. We must exist in a state of man glorious as we are protected by the red, the white, and the blue. But remember, the mind is the key. The fearless soldier pledges to place God first and foremost in his everyday endeavors of life. We, the fearless army, are one nation under God, indivisible with freedom and a belief in the American dream. The men bold enough to join our movement comprise what we like to call the new dream team. We are leaders of our families, our churches, and of this nation. We reject the seeds of division that are planted by corporate media misinformation. We affirm that all men are created equal and are endowed with inalienable rights, which are granted by our Heavenly Father. We are bound by honor to accept God's challenge, to take the flag and lead, to cherish, to protect, and to nurture the life of our unborn seed. I am a fearless soldier, so shed no tears for me. I am not a victim. I am the man that God made me to be. Amen. All right, welcome back. Uh, and welcome uh, TJ and Shamika back. Uh, this story is something Shamika brought up, and it certainly captured my attention. Uh, M&Ms, they're going to be more inclusive in their marketing and branding. And uh, there's, I've got a story written uh, up, pulled up here from. NBC News, M&Ms are getting a new look to become more inclusive. People jokingly think they should be hotter. Uh, Rolling Stone has a different headline on its M&M story. 
Let the green M&M be a nasty little slut. That's the headline on the Rolling Stone article. And so M&M's candy that is directed at kids is now, you know, putting alleged female M&M's in tennis shoes and uh, there's two, I think the green and the brown M&M's are supposed to be f females and some of the commercials have, or what, have them holding hands as if they're in some sort of sexual relationship and inclusion, inclusion, inclusion is the key word and sexual inclusion seems to be uh, the key to being inclusive. You know, next Wednesday on Harmony, because we didn't get, I wanted to talk about inclusion this past week, but on Wednesday, we're definitely gonna get into this whole inclusion discussion. Uh, Shamika, I, I don't, I'll let you go first. Uh, what, do we th what should we think about this? I feel like they're really trying to just cancel women. We've talked about them trying to get rid of men when they started the whole toxic masculinity. I think they're trying to get rid of masculine men, feminine women, and kind of bring us to a middle ground where you have just beta males and women that you can't tell the difference. I really feel like as a woman, especially when they say things like we want to make the woman uh, smarter or look more empowering. I never equated sexiness with being stupid. And so the fact that they're alluding to this, it irritates me because I know a lot of smart, beautiful women. When I look at Diane Carroll and Debbie Allen, Felicia Rashad, uh, Bernadette Stannis, who played Thelma on Good Times, these were beautiful, black, feminine women. Pam Greer, she was really sexy, but no one thought Pam Greer was stupid, you know, when she, she played her characters. No one thought she was dumb. And now I feel like they're really just trying to take the sexy away because they equate sexy with being stupid or they want us to be more manly. And I personally, as a feminine woman, I take offense to this. A lot of people are talking about the green M&M that they took away her go-go boots. But they also, with the brown M&M, they gave her the little kitten church mother heels. They took away her heels as well. And she was supposed to be the smart Eminem, when she debuted, I think in 2012 for the Super Bowl, she was a smart Eminem, but now they have to now take away her heels, give her the little heels that it looks like the church mothers, you know, stuff their feet in and it looks like a pop can of biscuits. That's what they've done to her. And so it just feels to me that they're trying to erase feminine women and want us all looking like little boys. TJ, before you go, I, I, I want to say, I, I think what frustrates me is I think they're just, they're targeting kids. For sure. That the, the real goal here is to bait kids into being far more fluid in their sexual identity. And it's not, it's about, because I'm just sorry, parents for the most part, mom and dad, mm -hmm. two man and a woman, it takes them two to create a child. I don't care what you do surgically or whatever, it takes a man and a woman. And so most kids have been produced by heterosexual parents. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sorry, heterosexual parents tend to want their kids to be a reflection of them. For sure. And so it's natural, it's not 
a bias. It's not something negative that most parents want their kids to be heterosexual. They're a product of a heterosexual uh, union, uh, intimacy, and, and they're trying to say, okay, screw what your parents want. We, the establishment, pop culture, the educational system, we want to have the primary influence over you as a young person, and we want the, the, the key to happiness, the key to being a normal person, the key to being a good person is to be sexually fluid. Yes. You're down for whatever. And that's why Rolling Stone has got a headline, let her be a nasty little slut. Right. Just screws anything and everybody. That's positive. I, I, and, and, and the justification is, well, this is the way boys have always been. They've been slutty and they've been celebrated for it. So why can't we make women slutty and let's celebrate them for it? And, and perhaps the real agenda should be, let's, not, let's make everybody less slutty. Right, yeah. <laughs> that might improve society and that might lead to more kids being born to mom and dad and a marriage where they can be properly developed. But, uh, you know, I'm gonna let TJ hop in, but I got some follow-up points. Well, uh, you mentioned the heterosexual parents typically want their kids to act a, as they do and, and sort of be an extension of who they are. Um, part of that is us, we're all trying to like, I have an eight month old daughter. Like I've spent a lot of years trying to be a better version of me and I want to teach that to her, all the mistakes and things that I've made. It's like you look at some of the data here. The the we talked about the um, transgender community has a suicide attempt rate in the 40 percentile. It's like 42 uh, percent. The LGBTQ plus GYS community, uh, it's four times what it is for a heterosexual community. So it's like part of that is a protection mechanism for young kids. I want you to be as protected as humanly possible. It's like how many parents would tell you they would lay down their lives for their children. So why then would you set them up to be far more likely? to commit suicide. That, that is my uh, first point, just playing off what you were talking about. The second point is that the fact that, that Mars, the parent company of M&M here, thinks this is actually useful or doing anything just floors me. It's like you, you look at what they actually said they're doing. They're like, well, it's, it's not good that the arms and legs of these shell colors are, are tan, so we need to make <laughs> them the same color as their, their shell. I thought they were white. I never even noticed that they were tan. I don't think anybody noticed that they were tan. It would be weird to have, uh, you know, the extension that they do. Uh, it looks like they're wearing gloves and shoes and that's it. It's like Mickey Mouse. I don't know. Um, you go down and you're like, okay, is this helping uh, a eighth grade girl in Utah? She's, she's seeing that the girls are less catty towards each other. And so now she, she's going to have an epiphany after watching a 15 second uh, commercial. You know what, that girl, that, that M&M's being nicer to the other M&M. I should be nicer to my friends. Uh, oh, she's wearing these shoes. I, I, I should go away from my boots. It's like, I, I don't think, it, it's virtue signaling. It's not actually useful or helping anybody. And it, it's dumbing down, to some degree, what is desirable, right? It's like, uh, Shamik and I were talking off air. It's like, look, you could put me around a whole bunch, you know, a bunch of girls that are 40 pounds overweight and I could never see a pretty girl for the first 30 years of my life. And then Tyra Banks walks by and I'm like that. 
that's the girl, okay? <laughs> pretty is still pretty, no matter if you refuse to show it to me or not. And so that's kind of what I think is happening on a large scale. They're dumbing it down. They want the pretty girls to be uglier because the uglier girls can't be prettier. You want everybody acting as though they should just wear sneakers. You don't need to get prettied up. Turns out girls feel better when they get prettied up and guys like them more. Yes. I, I, I you said they're virtue signaling which to some degree they are, but I contend their game plan is far more insidious than making themselves look good. Uh, and, and I love your point about, uh, look, the suicide rates for transgender, the suicide rate for LGBT, and, and what their argument is, well, if society was more accepting of transgenders and LGBT, they would be less likely to commit suicide. It's the, it's the ridicule and not fitting in is what makes them prone to suicide. And so they, if we take away anybody complaining about or ridiculing them or teasing, and, and the teasing and ridicule, I'm actually against. I, I, you know, when I think back, and I, I was not the worst kid back when I was in junior high and high school in terms of bullying or treating the, the few out of the closet gay kids, I, I, I was never into bullying them. But I do know their experience in high school was not great. That a lot of kids did, they didn't, they didn't know how to fit in. And so their argument is like, if we remove all these standards and everybody's seen as normal, gays, transgenders won't commit suicide. And to some degree, I understand that. But for the society to function as a whole, we can't just legalize everything because some people feel bad about it. I will guarantee you, fat people have a higher rate of suicide than skinny people. Fat people get jokes told on them and get ridiculed. It, it, and this is where I go, I'm a very simple person. I'm a very simple person. If your identity is in Christ, it goes right off your shoulders. People, I make the best fat jokes about me. <laughs> and fat jokes about me don't bother me in the slightest. Again, there's truth in them in terms of, I've been in a constant battle trying to get my weight. I exercise most days, blah, blah, blah. I know that being overweight's not good, but I'm not, my self-confidence hasn't been ruined by it because again, I'm a child of God. I care less if TJ Moe or Uncle Jimmy or whatever cracks a joke about my weight. God comes down and cracks a joke about it, I'm gonna have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Rest of y'all, <laughs> catch these hands, I guess. <laughs> I agree with you when you say they're targeting children because my 16-year-old sent this to me. And then my 18-year-old, just after looking at it, said, oh, like she didn't understand at first what the big deal was. And then she went and did a little looking, I guess, in her type of circles. And she said, oh, that's why they're calling the green one, saying they made her into a stud. And so children are paying attention to what they did. And they are now saying, 
the they made the green one into a stud because they put her in the sneakers and so they are trying to target children because children are paying attention to these changes whereas they had no idea before that they were really Eminem characters until they made this big deal about it and I know in 2015 they tried before to say they were uh, like you said lesbians and in a relationship where they transgender and so I do think they look at things that they know attract kids, cartoons, uh, uh, any type of characters to get their attention and to, like you said, say this is okay. It reminds me of 1984, the movie, when everybody just looked the same. It was like they wore the same uniform, same clothes. You can go in now clothing stores that used to be you had a male side and a female side, and now they want to take all of those out, just like in, in toys, the sections, you know. I think you made a really good point, and that was that we used to teach kids that their identity should be in Christ. And that's everything I was taught growing up. And so that even when I'm failing at that, I know that ultimately when I'm in the proper place that I was taught to be in, that I, when I'm feeling balanced in my life, that's what I'm aiming for and, and this is who I am. What we're teaching kids now is that their identity is their sexuality. I mean, how destructive can you possibly be? So then you say, this is who you are. And one, you're trying to figure out that we don't just say, your identity is sexual, your sexuality, we say, by the way, seven-year-old, what is your sexuality? Right. Let me know, mm -hmm. and then that's who you are. So you yes. are tasked at an unbelievably young age where you don't know anything to determine what your sexuality is, and then we tell you that's the most important thing about you, and you need to spend the rest of your life getting everybody else to respect your decision. I mean, good luck right. with that. When they should really be ace, I mean, they should be no sexual, because they should not even be having sex yeah, at point. such a young age. You shouldn't know. Yesterday, uh, yesterday and today over social media, there was a Melissa Harris Perry commercial that was getting circulated and it was made four or five years ago when she was at MSNBC. And it, it really lands on my overall point on this in terms of the commercial was an MSNBC commercial, Melissa Harris Perry basically talking about, we gotta get people to quit seeing their kids as theirs. Their kids are ours. It's the entire community. And it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. I'm upset with myself because I'm sure I saw the commercial previously and didn't understand just how dangerous and evil it was. But they're literally trying to convince parents, those kids aren't yours. Mm -hmm. They're ours. And we get the school system and we get to decide everything about them and what's good for them. That is crazy and it, it's it's evil and it's satanic because I believe and I don't have kids y'all do but I've thought this for a long time the greatest gift that God gives you is a child and he tasked you with the responsibility of developing that child mm -hmm. and caring and nurturing and doing all the, and they're trying it's like the greatest thing a human being could do they want to take it away from you and hand it to the government. Right. That's crazy. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, Steve, uh, TJ and Steve Kim will talk some NFL playoffs and some Dallas Cowboy football.
나 빨리 박수 쳐 기다리지 말고 서둘러 무슨 나랑 밝혀 to feed you raps but I see that you up here will love so fly Alright welcome back uh, Time to roll out to uh, Los Angeles and bring in the Korean Cosell uh, to talk a little NFL playoffs and we'll ta- uh, tack a little Dallas Cowboys uh, on at the end of this. Uh, I don't know if you know this, TJ, but uh, Jerry Jones had some comments today that weren't a ringing endorsement of Mike McCarthy. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit with uh, Steve Kim, but let's first start with the uh, what I consider the game of the weekend. Yeah. It's the game of the weekend because it's the one I think where the biggest upset's going to happen. The Cincinnati Bengals uh, versus the Tennessee Titans. Joe Burrow, a franchise quarterback, uh, versus Ryan Tannehill, a emergency quarterback. I don't know what. Ryan Tannehill is going to throw an interception that's going to cost him the game. I think the Bengals are going to win. Uh, we'll we'll start with uh, the Korean Cosell. Uh, Steve, am I crazy for thinking that Joe Burrow is going to win his second playoff game over the number one seeded and overvalued Tennessee Titans? I like the Titans. I like Mike Vrabel. I like all their players. I think their quarterback is going to make a big mistake that will cost them the game. Uh, But am I crazy for thinking that? Well, first of all, I'm beginning to think this is really a battle between Jason Whitlock and TJ Moe, because I know you guys are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Here's my view of the Bengals. Bright young team. They have a franchise quarterback. I get the sense they're about a year away. Uh, History is not on their side. I believe they're 0-7 on the road in the playoffs. Again, what that has to do with the price of tea in China in 2022, I really don't know. But, Jason, there is something I agree with you about Tannehill. He's okay. He's a very serviceable guy. But Derrick Henry, the Bama slammer, is coming back and – now it can become Ryan training wheels again because if that big fella is ready to go and operate the way he usually does and they can start controlling down and distance, this game becomes much easier for Ryan Tannehill to succeed as he gets favorable looks. They got a week's rest. They're at home. I look at them as the more veteran team. Uh, I like the Titans here. I like the nickname Ryan training wheels. Mm. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, TJ, I'm sure you love it as well. I actually, I am a Bengals guy this weekend. Oh, wow. I am a Bengals guy. They are going the wrong direction. So we keep saying, okay, uh, part of the reason I liked the Bucs coming into last, uh, so I'm sorry, the the Packers coming into this year is because everybody's getting healthy at the right time. That's true for the Titans, except I think they're rushing them back. We actually had Mm. some guys on the Packers, David Bakhtiari and such. They actually played in the final games of the year, and they were able to get their feet underneath them. We haven't seen Derrick Henry in a long time. And if they're trying to force feed Derrick Henry because Ryan Training Wheels is not able to get the job done, they're in big trouble because you still went – Anything on your lower extremities, specifically when you got a guy that relies on speed and power, you're in big trouble. So you can look. We're uh, we're here in Nashville right now. It ain't warm, and so it's not going to be friendly to him. If you got anything going on with your joints, you got any ligaments that are messed up, it's not going to be fun. I don't think they're going to be able to uh, to lean on Derrick Hen- Henry like they hope to. I also think Joe Burrow and uh, and Patrick Mahomes are the future Peyton Manning and Tom Brady here. Uh, Joe Burrow over the last five games. 13 touchdowns, 1,720 yards, and zero interceptions. He's been absolutely mm. on fire. So I think that continues. Yeah, mm. 
TJ, uh, I want to say this, though, about ahead. that matchup. You're right about Derrick Henry. He may not be what we saw throughout September and October. The one matchup that worries me about the Bengals, as I go Rick Patino here, I love Joseph Burrow, but as of right now, Anthony Munoz ain't walking through that door. Max Montoya ain't walking through that door. Will Anderson is not walking through that door. That, the offensive line of the Bengals, it's going to be a real issue. I think it's a little bit below average. And the Titans are a really violent, physical bunch. Uh, I expect this, this, this is going to be one of those games where Joe Burrow says, I grew up here. I learned something about playoff football. And, and again, I think those teams that generally have a week's rest, especially if they're banged up a little bit, I think have a real advantage coming into the playoffs. I'm not that particularly impressed with the Titans offensive line this year. And so I, I hear you. Uh, the Bengals would love to have an overweight Andre Smith uh, <laughs> this weekend. I know their offensive line hasn't been the greatest. But look, man, Jamar Chase is the real deal. Joe Mixon's the real deal. Uh, Joe Burrow is the real deal. Is Derrick Henry the real deal? Absolutely. A.J. Brown? Yeah. I think another guy that has been exposed this year, and I know injuries have played an issue or whatever, but they didn't get what they thought they were getting from Julio Jones. And I don't think he's going to magically reappear in the cold in January here in, ten in Tennessee. I think the Bengals have the better playmakers. I think the Bengals' defense is underrated. Uh, and, and I think the Bengals have a momentum, and I hate this word. I hate it, but I'm going to use it. I think they have a swagger uh, that's going oh, to help geez. them. Uh, <laughs> I, hate, I hate that. I do hate so that. I take that back. Yeah, I, I hate it. It's the most overused word. and oh. They have a confidence that I think is going to serve them well. Uh, this weekend, but let, let's keep it moving. Uh, 49ers, Green Bay Packers. Uh, I, I think this is the year of Aaron Rodgers. I, I think that Aaron Rodgers in the Super Bowl would produce enormous ratings. I think he's beloved and polarizing. I think he's long overdue. I think that he's this is his moment in time this season, the unvaxxed quarterback uh, going all the way to the Super Bowl. And this week, he's getting to play against Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. And Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> is, I, I'm off the Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G-string, I'm, I'm off him. Uh, he, he's going to throw some interceptions. He's, he's, Packers are going to win here. Uh, TJ, I'm going to let you go first this time. We, uh, we talk a lot about weather, and I, I had to play in cold weather myself, so I know how miserable it is. You uh, at Ball State obviously yeah. had to play. Indianapolis ain't exactly uh, the no. desert. So the, this is the night game, which does not bode well for the 49ers who are out there in the, uh, in the Bay. It is going to be a high of 20 and a low of negative 1 in Green mm. Bay. The game starts at 7.15. By 9 o'clock, it's going to be in the single digits. These, this is going to be one of those games where you can see everybody's breath. You're going to know who's really tired because his breath's going to be going three feet out. I think 
Aaron Rodgers thrives in these conditions. Jimmy Garoppolo was in a dome last week. He threw for 172 yards and an interception, and somehow they still won that game against the Cowboys. So uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is not the guy. They paid him like he should be the guy. They traded for him from, uh, from the Patriots as though he would be the guy. He's never been that guy. The biggest thing he's done since he's been in San Francisco is date a porn star. I don't think he's been particularly good or interesting. <laughs> I think Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams will be exactly the guys that they have been uh, for the last several years. And they're going to, as, as I said uh, when I picked my, you said, is there one good team? I'm still going with the Packers. I actually think they're going to run away with it this year. Mm. Yeah, I, he publicly <laughs> dated a porn star. Uh, that was my real objection. Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Kim. Uh, Jason, TJ, uh, Garoppolo made history. He's the only quarterback in NFL history that was on the winning team of a playoff game. And I said, this guy has no future with the team. They literally, he was that bad in the fourth <laughs> quarter. I literally said they won and they got a bum at quarterback. And I used to be a big Jimmy G advocate. Uh, one player that's criminally overlooked for the Packers that has emerged and he fits perfectly because he looks like a mutter in a cold-weather running back is A.J. Dillon, the Boston College Bull. He's been a revelation this year. Uh, gives them some physicality and some real girth in the short yardage. He makes the job easier for Aaron Jones. They make a dynamic one-two punch. And playing in a cold-weather school at Boston College is the way he did where it's really productive for all three years. And he moves a pile. And, and games like this is where guys – they're a little bit reticent to tackle guys like this because it, it gets really difficult and tough. And Dylan in the playoffs, I think, will be a breakout type of complimentary star. And I, I'm with you, TJ. If there is a team that I'd say, Steve, you have to bet your life savings on one team to win it all, it would be the Packers. Mm, all right, so we're all in agreement there. I don't think we're going to be all in agreement with this next game, which is – a pretty all these games are really good to be honest with you this weekend as bad as super wild card weekend was uh the divisional weekend has a chance to be enormous uh the st louis rams and they the, back to st louis huh st louis rams i do appreciate oh. that while i'm sitting here <laughs> the los angeles rams versus the tampa bay buccaneers and i'm gonna go out on another limb here i'm gonna take matt stafford and the rams Ooh. in an upset of the tampa bay buccaneers I, I think mm. the Bucks are a bit overvalued. I, I, I've always been a Matt Stafford fan, uh, and it's not. I'm, none of what I'm saying is a shot at Tom Brady. I just think it's Matt Stafford's time, and I think he plays big here. And the tam, uh, the Rams pull off an upset. Uh, I'll let you uh, hop in here, Steve Kim. You're out there in Los Angeles. Think your Rams can pull it off? Uh. You know, it's interesting, Jay. I don't disagree with you. And sometimes football comes down to individual matchups. This is one thing I noticed last week as they blew out the Eagles. When Tristan Wirfs, who's going to be this perennial pro bowler at right tackle, went down, that offensive line fell apart and Brady started to get scuffed up a little bit. And again, it didn't really matter in the long big picture of the game because it was such a lopsided game. But he's not healthy. And if you look at the Rams, this is why they brought in Von Miller time. This is his time to make a difference. He's been okay. He's probably at the tail end of what's been a Hall of Fame career. But this organization brought him in for moments like this. Now, you know they have Aaron Donald right up the middle, best pure player in football. Von Miller was brought in for a particular game where we need a little bit of edge pressure. I thought he played very well against Arizona. And, uh, 
The Buccaneers are still banged up at wide receiver. Jason, make room on the uh, bandwagon. Uh, don't make me the driver, but uh, I'm going to go with you. I think the Rams pull the upset here. <laughs> don't trust the Asian driver. Uh, you, could, you could be on the front I side. Not, you got that. Yeah, we, <laughs> we would not make you the driver, Steve. Yeah, no, uh, no, do we have total agreement here? Is it, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't even mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. This is a big stage for him. We, uh, me and Steve should have compared notes. Uh, we are all in, on full agreement here. I, again, I am. Uh, if there's a bandwagon to be driven, I am the driver of the Tom Brady bandwagon and have been for a number of years here. However, uh, this is why I say Steve and I should have compared notes. It is not right tackle that I'm concerned about. It's center, and that's Ryan Jensen. Mm. who got rolled up on and has been. If he's 80% against Aaron Donald, good frickin' luck. Oh. And I've seen Tom Brady. The, the, the kryptonite to Tom Brady is a banged-up offensive line. He, he right now is the most athletic he's ever been, and he's the least athletic quarterback in the league. I mean, he can't move. Everybody's aware he can't move. So um, he doesn't even try to avoid sacks. He just gets down before somebody hurts him. In the Peyton Manning mode. No. He totally is. And so yeah. <laughs> that, I think, is the it, – it's Donald versus Ryan Jensen, and, and Jensen is, is unbelievably good. Not when he's injured, though. And nobody's unbelievably good against Aaron Donald. So I think that's the matchup of the game. The second matchup of the game is the guy that nobody's been able to stop for the whole year. And if we were having an honest conversation, maybe in the MVP contention, and that would have been Cooper Cup. No Mm. one's going to cover Cooper Cup. And now you do have OBJ who gets to play second fiddle to somebody. And while that's not really his cup of tea, he is coming around. If you've watched him the last several weeks, He's coming around. It's you got Cooper Cup and OBJ on offense, and then on defense you got Aaron Donald trying to tear up a uh, a banged up Ryan Jensen. Good luck. Mm. Uh, I I uh, thought I had a. Go ahead, go ahead, Kim. Okay, so you know, let's let TJ drive. He's the white guy. You, you might you're driving while black. I'm just an Asian driver. So TJ, take the keys. Here you go. It's all yours. You, you get behind the steering wheel, man. <laughs> All right, let's let's move to what many believe is the game of the weekend, and I can understand why. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs are hosting the Buffalo Bills. Josh Allen is on one right now. Uh, Patrick hmm. Mahomes is, and the Chiefs seem to be ascending at the right time. Uh, I'm going to pick the Chiefs here but not with a great deal of confidence. It would not shock me if the Bills and Josh Allen uh, pull the upset. I could see Kansas City getting off to a slow start and having to play catch up and not quite being able to get it done. But as a bright home field advantage, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, I'm going to pick my Chiefs uh, to hold off the Buffalo Bills here. Uh, TJ? This is the AFC Championship game. Uh, they're going to play the winner of the Titans and Bengals, but this is the AFC Championship game here. They're meeting too early. Both the Chiefs and the Bills are the, – the, those are the more talented teams. I think this is actually the year for the Bills. I think we're, we're, what we are going to end up here is Packers-Bills Super Bowl. Um, the, the difference in the game is going to be Josh Allen's running ability. I have watched him now – you notice this um, – perhaps his most famous moment in the NFL – to date is falling down on his own as he's running 75 yards for a touchdown and he gets to like the 10 yard line and falls down. The guy can really, really run. So he's got guys out there. They've got a really good rushing attack. They're now uh, uh, courtesy of John Hadley here. The Bills have rushed for 110 yards or more 
and average at least four yards a carry in six straight games. A lot of that is on the back of Josh Allen, who finds the time to take off. They clear out. This is a really good play-action team. Clear him out, and he takes off. Ultimately, I think that's the difference in the game. And again, this is the, uh, in my opinion, the AFC Championship game. So winner of this goes to the Super Bowl. AFC Championship game, start there. Do you believe that? And then tell us who's going to win. Yes, it's inter- interesting in this expanded playoff. In many years, a matchup of this caliber, you'd say that's the AFC title game. I, I'm very high. It's the main event of the weekend as far as I'm concerned. And, Jason, I'm going to call you Mr. Simpson because I think you might be a little bit of a homer here. Um, I have a question for you, Jason. <laughs> Should yeah. Josh Allen come out of Arrowhead and go 2-0 and and one of them in the playoffs – in the immortal words of the late great Emmanuel Stewart, who I was very, very close to, I truly believe that Josh Allen, like a Tommy Hearns, is the elite. Would he finally be an elite quarterback? Because to me, this is about Josh Allen. He wins this. He's now legitimately a top three player. And I'm kind of with TJ here. Across the board, player for player, especially at defensive line where the Bills have drafted a lot of capital in, in investing in Ed Oliver, Greg Rousseau, and other guys that are really good um they're the better team but here's what concerns me there is the revenge factor it's generally very difficult to beat a really good team twice at home in the same season but when it comes down to it it's football you're going to start playing Uh, i think the bills are the better football team i think they're the best in the afc uh disagree with both of you on turn i do think the chiefs (laughs) are going to win this game if buffalo does do that yes is josh allen elite No question about it. Your whole little statement about him being top three quarterback will be justified. Uh, when you first okay. said that, it, it just didn't strike me well. But I would have to say it, it would be uh, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, and Josh Allen. And I know the Tom Brady, you know, uh, Bruce Arians thinks anyone who thinks Tom Brady in the MVP is crazy <laughs> and stupid and it would be a travesty. But... Uh, I would agree with you that Josh Allen's elite. All right, let, let's talk about everybody's uh, favorite topic, the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Jerry Jones, Steve, you, you said, because I don't have my phone with me, and on my laptop I couldn't, you don't have an iPhone, so I can't call up your text message <laughs> here. But set the table. Jerry Jones had some comments uh, on the radio, I believe, this morning that didn't sound like yeah. quite an endorsement of Mike McCarthy. Go, go ahead and refresh my memory on that. Yeah, my Jerry Jones imitation isn't very good, but he basically said, I, I'm sick of working on stuff in the middle of the season. I'm sick of saying, oh, we got to work on this after week one. Uh, I'm just sick of it. Uh, there comes an expectation that we want to win playoff game. And, and he, look, the tone of it was very simple. This should have been our year to at least get to the Super Bowl. We failed. Uh, and I think there's an underlying tone to all of that. And at his age, he's not guaranteed wait till next year. It it is what it is. And he's still haunted, in my view, by the departure of Jimmy Johnson. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl in 95. Let's be honest. Jimmy Johnson built that team. He's wanted for the last 25, 30 years to add to his legacy, to win a Lombardi trophy on his time with his thoughts and his team. But he made it very clear to Mike McCarthy, you blew it. That was the message. I do think it's fair to put that criticism on Mike McCarthy, but I think overall Jerry Jones has to look at himself in the mirror for the instability. All Again, I, I don't think that organization has a clear leadership tree. 
Jerry Jones is in the way of the head coach. And, and it's not, I didn't think Mike McCarthy was the right hire from the, from the get-go. But that's only because I thought they needed a higher coach who would push Jerry to the background and that head coach would have to be the guy and the guy that all the players had to answer to. Uh, I thought the, the other layer to this was, and I, I think we shared this with you, TJ, earlier this week, Troy Aikman made some interesting comments about uh, the quarterback play in the Dallas game. He didn't go directly at Dak, but he thought the soft coverage on C.D. Lamb should have been exploited. And he said he had a conversation with Peyton Manning, and they were both shocked that the Cowboys didn't exploit the single coverage, the 49ers, or the soft coverage, the 49ers were, were, were giving C.D. Lamb. And, and it kind of blew Troy Aikman's <clears throat> mind and Peyton Manning's mind. And what, what I thought they were missing or insinuating in that conversation is Troy back in, Troy and Peyton were saying back in our day, a quarterback could look out there and see that, get in the head coach or the offensive coordinator's ear and exploit that. Whereas in this modern day, where all quarterbacks are coming out of college programs where they look to the sideline before every play and look to the sideline a second time right before they snap the ball, I just don't think quarterbacks think the game, any of them. This mm -hmm. isn't me picking on Dak. Virtually, other than Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, I'm not sure any of these quarterbacks out there are out reading, evaluating the defenses the way that Aikman and Peyton Manning and quarterbacks in previous eras did because they just have, they're, they're micromanaged from the college game all the way through the pros. And so there was some bad coverage that needed to be exploited and Dallas couldn't hop on it. And so Troy was somewhat pointing the finger at the coaching staff, but he was also pointing the finger at like, what have we crippled and uh, quarterbacks and they all, none of them can think on their own or do anything. So that may, I say all that to say Mike McCarthy may lose his job. Troy Aikman is somewhat questioning the coaching and the quarterback. I thought with those comments. I, um, you, you remember, I played with a guy named Denario Alexander in, yeah. in uh, college at Mizzou. He was a first-team All-American, had four straight games of 200 yards plus during that season. He was unbelievable. Had five or six knee surgeries, didn't make it very long in the NFL because of that. There was a game that we were losing. Andy Hill was our wide receiver coach, and um, they got together at halftime and said, what do we do here? And uh, Andy Hill spoke up. He said, well, I think we throw it to 81. That was his number. And then once we get going, we'll throw it to 81. And then once we get going a little more, <laughs> we're going to throw it to 81. And he had 200 yards. We won the game. Um, I think quarterback is not a position where you can have a weak personality person. And it does not matter. Why didn't – it's actually a good comparison. Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers did not get along for good reason because Aaron Rodgers' personality was too strong. He was not just going to let a coach dictate how he played the game. Now, that's good and bad because you need a quarterback who can – uh, who can follow directions, but Aaron was also going to do what Aaron deemed to be best for them to win the game, and right now that's throw it to Devontae Adams as many times in a single game as he can, and that's going to win them the Super Bowl this year. So I think, I think Tom Brady's a strong personality guy. He's done a measure of what you're talking about. I think part of the problem with the college system, I think you're correct, is that it's actually conditioned these guys to believe that they don't have to be the personality of the team, because in mm. college, the, the head coach is the personality of the team. In the NFL, it's supposed to be the quarterback and a lot of these young guys haven't figured that out mm.
Guys, and uh, interesting stat here. CD Lamb was the number one targeted Cowboys receiver. Last week he had five targets for one reception. That's a flawed game plan right off the bat. But going to your story, TJ, uh, when Troy Aikman played, he had a guy by the name of Michael Jerome Irvin, the playmaker. The wide receiver coach was a gentleman by the name of Hubbard Alexander. Came with Jimmy Johnson from Miami. He was really the wide receiver coach, but he was really Michael Irvin's muse. And I've seen this on tape or on films where if Michael didn't get the ball enough and he thought he was open, he would actually go over right over to Hubbard Alexander and said, Axe, get me the ball. I don't care what coverage they run. Get me the ball. And Axe would say, yeah, but they're kind of, no, no, no. Give me the ball. I'll go get it. Axe would then get on the headphones with Norv Turner. Then Norv would call to Troy, and Troy would say, yeah, we're going to get the ball to the playmaker. Sometimes it's really that simple. We overthink the game, and I think the, the phrase here, Jason, is paralysis by analysis. Well, I think what you just described there is a very young receiver in C.D. Lamb who certainly at this stage in his career probably doesn't feel empowered enough to do what you're talking about with Michael yeah. Irvin. And, 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 but Dak Prescott, sitting on a 40-some-odd million-dollar-a-year contract in his fifth or sixth year in the league, uh, and, but, but Dak's a soldier, like an infantryman. He's going to... One of the things he's been praised for is he's such a team player. He's such an unselfish guy. And that perhaps Dak will learn a lesson from this that, you know, in order to get to that next level, he may have to bully Mike McCarthy or whoever the coach is. Mm. And it has to be his way. But, but again, that comes from a supreme level of confidence mm. in your ability. And Dak's always going to be, wasn't he a fourth-round pick? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. A fourth-round pick whose arm isn't really elite. Uh, And and so he's not an elite runner or whatever. So where does his supreme confidence come from? Generally from being prepared, being surrounded by the right weapons, great offensive line, two running backs, Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, uh, you know, great – this may be, and this is what they may have figured out in doubt, it's the wrong QB quarterback, uh, coach, mm. quarterback pairing. And, huh. you know, maybe the Dallas maybe need a, a Sean McVay or super aggressive, offensive-minded coach because Dak's personality may never be uh, the guy that's going to bully a Mike McCarthy or – Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator, into doing what he sees. That, that's, that's never been him. And there's, look, there's a great deal of responsibility. When you start saying, I want control and I want to do this, eventually <clears throat> when things don't go right, you get blamed for that. And Jason, some people don't want that yeah, pressure. I want to make a point. And you talk about uh, being a hyper-aggressive offensive coordinator. I thought Kellen Moore did not try to establish the running game at all. Look, run-pass ratio can be very, very uh, – tricky to really gauge because of the, the style of the ball game. But Dak got hit early. They never tried to establish the running game. I believe they had 43 passing attempts and right around 21 rushing attempts. Very imbalanced. So we talk about being aggressive. I thought Kellen Moore should have been more conservative. But I have never seen a team that had as successful a season as the Cowboys, where they won 12 games with so many question marks going into the offseason – uh, because I don't look at them as an old team. They seem to be in their physical prime outside of Zeke Elliott. But here's the thing that's interesting about the Cowboys. If you look at their record outside the NFC East, they're sub-500. 
And so, it, and Jason, I know this applies to you because you did a lot of perusing on Instagram back in the day, not now. But there's some women out there that look unbelievable on Instagram. You're like, wow, wow. Then you see them in person after they get out of the pool. They don't look as nice. They're like, oh, you still look nice. You're not what I saw on Instagram. So I just wonder, was this whole season a bit of a Instagram filter season for the Cowboys? It, it's a really interesting question to ask. Totally agree with you. Uh, the NFC East made the Cowboys look better than what they really are. And that's one of the reasons why I thought they were going to lose. And Steve, thank you. Great job. We're going to let you go. Uh, but but I, it reminds me, are you guys old enough to, well, Steve certainly is. This reminds me more of MySpace. I don't know oh, if yeah. you, oh, but the, yeah, the Tom, My. Tom was everybody's first friend. Yeah, the My, MySpace, I'm talking about, women were magnificent what they could do with their MySpace pictures. <laughs> I once, and I, this is inappropriate for me to say, but everything I say is virtually inappropriate. I'll never forget me and a very good friend of mine, I'm just, I'll say Dennis, I won't say his last name. We got in this huge debate about this girl that was following both of us, or we were following her on MySpace or whatever. She lived in Kansas City. I met her first. She looked incredible on MySpace. She was actually a dwarf. I'm not kidding. So I, <laughs> and I had to talk Dennis. Well, that's the like, proper term, isn't it? <laughs> is that the proper term? I, I was going to say midget. Freedom came like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be.